Awesome. So excited that you're here on this day. Uh, many of you are aware of who was just on stage. Scott Sparley is our care pastor. For those of you who are watching online or who may be newer to our church, uh, what that means is that if you want to go to battle, if you're going through a hard time in your life and you need somebody to come alongside of you, I cannot think of a better man in our church than Scott Sparley. Um, he really is that caring. If you couldn't hear his heart come through, can we give it up for Scott? I just love that we have a guy uh, on our team, you know, with that kind of heart. So thank you, Scott. Absolutely love you. Uh, I'm so excited as we uh, continue in this second week, you know, what does it look like to stand up in a bowed down world? Now, this is one of those series that's a little unique in that we're actually trying to build on each week, not trying to leave you in the dust in any way, shape, or form, but it will help you so much to listen to last week if you were not able to. And so I just want to encourage you again, you got to listen to last week because it really sets the tone and the foundation for what we're going to be talking about today. Now, in addition to that, I just want to remind you, it's a four-week series, so there are going to be some things that we still haven't addressed and still haven't left out. And yes, you're still going to have your feathers ruffled a little bit because it's ruffled mine. And so I didn't want to be alone and I thought I'd share that with you. And so we're going to be ruffled you know, a little bit together. And so as we uh, kick off, the only reminder I want to give you is that what we learned from Daniel last week, and we're learning through this series, is that Daniel's foundation was on the hope of God, that he knew that no matter what, God is in control. Regardless of a situation or circumstances. The second thing is that he understood that he needs to live in a posture of humility. Of humility. How do we stand up? We stand in a humble way. And then the third is that he was going to need a lot of wisdom. Well beyond what he's ever gone through in order to know what's best and how we should respond to a world that is ever changing and a culture that is shifting further and further away from God. And so as we begin on this day, I don't know if you've ever been on a task or an assignment and you got distracted. Uh, you got off, you know, just a little bit. Uh, in, in our culture, uh, oh, a number of years ago, we actually have an American phrase for this. And the American phrase is, you got squirreled. Okay, you got squirreled. And it came from the movie Up, you know, where this dog, Doug, is that Doug the dog, you know, is actually on assignment, but as he is trying to get his assignment across, every time literally a squirrel would appear or something that would distract him, he could not finish his assignment because there was always something in his purview or in his sight that would get him off focus. I don't know if you've experienced, uh, maybe uh, you're in high school or college and you're trying to do a homework assignment and, and, and all of a sudden you hear the ding and you look over at your cell phone and somebody has sent you a hilarious TikTok video, which then leads to about 65 more TikTok videos. And after an hour and a half, you just realize, dang it, I got squirreled and you try to get back to the original focus and purpose of your evening. Maybe you've been like me and uh, you drive somewhere. And as you're driving somewhere, you're on so, such autopilot, you know, that your brain begins to think of other things. And you miss the exit you were supposed to get off on. You miss the turn, even though you've done it a hundred times, because 
you got squirreled. Uh, maybe for some of you, you're at work and uh, you have a task or assignment, but that little red dot uh, pops up above your email and it just draws you in. It sucks you in because maybe you're like me and you can't stand those little red circles that tell me how many messages I still have to look at or get rid of. And so even though you're trying to focus on an assignment or task, you find yourself spending the next half hour or an hour responding to email or notifications, you see, you got squirreled, didn't you? You know, because that happens to us on a regular basis. I, I mean, it's more significant when you start talking about relationships, right? You're trying to build a relationship with your spouse, or your kids, and you're having this family moment, but something distracts you in the background. Something's on television. You know, something has just happened, and although your spouse may be pouring out their heart to you at the time, or your child, or your friend, whatever it may be, you are no longer paying attention because, ladies and gentlemen, you got squirrel. That's exactly right. And so you can probably guess, how do we stand up in a bowed down world? This is what we're going to be talking about for the rest of our time together. Like Jesus, we are to stay focused on the mission. To stay focused on the mission. When the culture begins to change, when the culture begins to transform, when there's all these opportunities to deviate from the mission or the goal or the focus, that we would get squirreled and get off of the mission that Christ has for our lives. You see, Jesus, when he came to this earth, he had a mission. His mission was to redeem back, to win back humanity by coming down to earth, by first bringing glory to his father. He says, this is why I've come. I've come to bring glory to God. And I'm gonna do that by living this life, by pouring myself into my followers, gonna ultimately die on the cross and raise from the dead so that my mission can be accomplished on this side of eternity. That was his focus. Now, if you become a follower of Jesus, we adopt a similar purpose, goal, and mission. The simplest way that I can describe it to you, if you're a follower of Christ, is what is commonly known as the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. The Great Commandment from God, through Jesus Christ, says this, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. The second is equally important, to love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. That you would grow in love, that's one of the purposes and goals of your relationship with Christ and then also your relationship with others. Now that's the great commandment. The great commission is after Jesus is about ready to go back to heaven, he's risen from the dead and he gives this charge to his followers saying, this is the goal, this is the mission. So says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Around here, we just say we're trying to reach new people for Jesus, one person at a time, reaching the world, one new person at a time. And second, we're trying to be and make new disciples for Jesus. That's, that's what our focus is. That's our purpose here, regardless of where we find ourselves relationally, regardless of where we find ourselves vocationally, regardless of where we find, our, uh, find ourselves in just our day-to-day -day processes or values, our focus, our mission is to fulfill the word of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so that was Jesus in our mission, but here's what we know. There are a lot of people, including ourselves, that like to get us off mission. 
Right, there's a lot of people. If you go back to Jesus' day, there were a lot of Jewish people, even his own followers, who wanted to get Jesus off of his mission to get them focused on their mission or what they thought Jesus should be about. Or there was these religious people of Jesus' day who tried to do everything just to dissuade Jesus from doing anything positive with those around. And in fact, those were the religious people. Those were the God-fearing. We, we would call those people Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day. See, here's what they were thinking and hoping that Jesus' mission would have been. In John chapter six, it says, when the people saw him, when they saw Jesus do this miraculous sign. Now, this is right after Jesus decided to feed the 5,000 for the few loaves of bread and a few fish, and he fed 5,000 people. And so they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet that we have been expecting. So when Jesus saw that they're ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. You see, their goal was to make him king, and they had an idea of what that looked like. That was their mission for him. Jesus says, no, 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 that's not my mission, because the people had in mind what that looked like. So Jesus tries to explain over the course of three years what his mission and what his purpose is actually going to be, what is specifically his kingdom is supposed to look like. So we read, like in places like Luke chapter 8, verses 1, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. They want to make him king, but he wants to introduce them to something bigger, something greater, this thing called the kingdom of God. In fact, he even tries to teach his disciples how to pray. And I wonder if you ever noticed that in part of the prayer, he says this, our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it's being done in heaven. So he's teaching his disciples to pray for a bigger kingdom, right? Uh, Then we read, you know, uh, when Jesus is about ready to be crucified, he's before Pilate, who almost has the power, he thinks he has power, to let Jesus go or not, and they have this conversation, and in talking to Pilate, Jesus says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. Let me say that again. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Because he was trying to help his followers to understand that they were to, in all cases, to seek the kingdom of God above all else. So that there was nothing more important to help you to, to not stray away from the mission, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So then he dies on the cross. He raises from the dead. And if you had been with Jesus for three years, and he'd been spending three years trying to show you who he was and what his kingdom was about, wouldn't you think you would have gotten it by now? They didn't. In fact, after he's risen from the dead, after he's gathered his disciples, before he goes and ascends into heaven, He says these things to his followers because they come at him in Acts chapter one, verse six. And here's what I can tell you. I don't know if I've ever read this passage before because all of a sudden it came to light because I always read Acts 1, eight, which we'll get to. But actually look what Acts 1, six says after his resurrection. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? For three years, 
I have been trying to tell you about a different kingdom, about a kingdom that's far greater and far bigger than just releasing you from the oppression of the Roman Empire and from setting up an earthly state. I'm talking about a kingdom that's going to have no borders, that's not tied to land, and you still don't get it. Now, you got to understand, if you're a disciple, you're like, come on, this is the time. I mean, if you're ever going to smoke the Romans, if you're ever going to, you know, smite them, if you're ever going to lead us, you know, you're like Jesus 2.0, you know, you like rose from the dead and, and you're ready to conquer and be king. And this is why we're doing this. I mean, Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver because Jesus was not the king that he wanted him to be. The people hail him as Hosanna. Here comes the blessed be the one in the name of the Lord. As he's coming riding into Jerusalem, they're ripping off palm branches and they're just proclaiming him as king. And he's trying to introduce to them to something else. So he redirects them once again. He replies, the father alone has the authority to set these dates and times and they're not for you to know. But you will receive power. This is the verse I do know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, this is what my kingdom is gonna be all about. And so he's restoring the kingdom. They want him to restore their kingdom. He says, no, build my kingdom by sharing about me everywhere. Now, when it changed for them was when the Holy Spirit comes on the scene. We don't have time to go into that in Acts chapter two, and they finally got it. But to follow the mission of Jesus, this is the hard part, is to relinquish control to Jesus, which is to die to ourselves daily for Jesus so that it can be about him and his kingdom. Now, we might have good goals, but one of the things that we have accidentally stumbled into, especially in American culture, is that we believe that by clamoring for power, it's going to actually create the greatest difference for the kingdom of God. And that's never how the kingdom works. We have to relinquish control to follow his king, our king, and his kingdom. Let me be, let me be as clear as I can. Our mission is not to make America a Christian nation through power and control. The goal of the first century Christians was never thought of, never written about to make Rome a Christian conquering people. Our mission is to bring honor and glory to Jesus by word and deed, by sharing Christ with others, and get this, and as a byproduct, you get a Christian nation. The process of how you get there and what you choose to fight for will equal the results of whether we're fighting man's way or we're actually living and fighting God's way to get the actual results that all of us want. And unfortunately, we buy into the world's tactics instead of God's tactics. Now, you might say to yourself, Dan, aren't we supposed to stand Aren't we supposed to fight for the injustices of this country and this world? The answer is yes, 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 and yes. And we're supposed to fight on mission against the evil things of this world. Then we'll talk about how best to do that next week. So you're not going to want to miss next week. Confrontation done Jesus' way. How do we do that? But how do we stay on mission? With the time that we have left, how do we stay on mission to be and make new disciples of Jesus, to reach new people for Christ. 
therein lies Daniel chapter 2. So if you can open with me to Daniel chapter 2, we're going to be in verses, or we'll actually pick up in verse 14. Let me tell you about what happens, verses 1 to 13. So Daniel, as you know, he, is, he, is, he has lost his country. He's now under Babylon. He is now serving underneath Nebuchadnezzar. And as he's serving underneath Nebuchadnezzar, one night Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he has this dream that kind of shakes him up and shakes him to the core because he knows this isn't a normal dream. This seems to be a vision or a prophecy of some kind. So he calls his wise men, the ones in his inner circle together, and he says, okay, I need you guys to tell me my dream. And they're like, okay, tell us the dream and we'll interpret for you. That's why you got us on, on staff here. That's why we're part of your kingdom here. Let's be able to do it. He goes, no, 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 no. You actually need to tell me the dream and then you need to tell me what, it, what the dream means. And they're looking at him like, you crazy. Nobody in all the world is gonna be able to know what your dream was and then interpret it. Just tell us the dream and we promise we'll interpret. He says, no, in fact, if you cannot tell me what my dream is and then interpret it, I'm killing all you guys. So they're freaking out a little bit because nobody can be able to do this. And so what you need to understand is when you and I are faced with an impossible situation, an impossible decision where we don't know right from wrong, we don't know even how to answer, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're about ready to learn that the first way we stay on mission is to seek God through his word and prayer. It's to seek God through his word and prayer, not to make it up, not to guess, but to be able to respond. See, in Daniel chapter two, verse 14, it says, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. So he knew that he was in God's will. He knew that God was leading. He didn't know the outcome. He didn't know that. He just knew where he was going to go to get the answer to his dilemma that seemed like an impossible situation. Let me remind you again, there is a big difference between what we passionately disagree with and what God forbids. There's a big difference. Now, we can always make a biblical case, you know, for what we believe is right. Uh, In fact, let me raise the temperature in the room and online a little bit. Um, People asked, why didn't we take a harder stand for or against masks? Oh, by the way, I don't know if you have heard this weekend, but as of March 21st, no masks will be required in any setting, including the schools. That just came out today, which is really cool for the state of Washington. You know, we were down to five states left who had this. We were one of them. I'm just glad we didn't get to number one. You know, so March 21st, you know, uh, is when that begins to happen. And so we're just praising God, you know, that we're heading in that direction. Some people have asked, you know, why didn't we take a harder stand, you know, to keep meeting as a church on site when this all started? Why didn't we take a harder stand on getting or not getting the vaccine? What I want to remind you is we took a stand every single time. The stand was to stay on mission for Jesus Christ. And so we found ways as we looked into God's word and through prayer and through unity of conversation to say in an impossible situation where somebody's not going to be happy, we said we're going to stand on God's word and do the best that we can. So we centered so many of the decisions, and you can go back and read on Romans chapter 13 and 14. But I don't think I've ever shared this with you. Let me tell you personally on one of the instances. So I want to tell you personally my personal choice on why I got the vaccine. 
Some people are like, okay, why did you do it? Why is it government overreach, all that kind of stuff? I chose to get the vaccine for three reasons, and two of the first three reasons were driven by mission. See, the first reason is that I knew that there was a scheduled trip or a couple different mission trips that we were gonna be going on this year to different countries of the world. And I might disagree with whether or not I should be vaccinated or not, but their country said I had to be vaccinated in order to enter their country. So for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the mission that he has, I wasn't gonna allow a vaccine to stop me from proclaiming Jesus to other people. That was the driver. Second reason, I had family members, friends, and neighbors who refused to be around me because I must have had the plague if I wasn't vaccinated. And so they said, we don't want to be around you. If you don't have the vaccine, we don't want to be around you. And I talked and prayed with Caroline. I said, well, what should we do? Should we inform these ignorant people of how wrong they got all this? What would that do to relationship, especially with family and friends who don't yet know Jesus? So I chose secondly to get the vaccine to stay on mission to keep the relational door open for us to have conversations about Jesus, all right? The third one is I couldn't find another reason because I'd gotten vaccinations in the past, you know, but that was not a mission one. You know, that was, that was just the other side one. Now, I say that to say if you chose not to get the vaccine, and many of you, not many of you, some of you chose even to lose your job over not getting the vaccine, we gave you an opportunity to come to the church to get a religious exemption. And as you weighed the cost and as you walked through it, you said, you know what? I don't know what the long-term effects of this vaccine are. And the Bible says that I'm supposed to honor the Lord with the body and the temple of the Holy Spirit. And since I don't know the long terms, I am choosing to take a stand here. And we signed off freely. Now, here's my question. Who was right Vaccine or not vaccine? Jesus is right. Answer is Jesus. You know, it's always, a, it doesn't matter what we're talking about. What color is the sky? Jesus. You know, I don't, it don't matter what color it is. You're both right, depending on the reason in which you got to the decision. Because there isn't a verse in First Opinions 1-7 that says you shall or shall not get the vaccine. There's not. So you go to other places of scripture to try to best understand and support. And if you did that, if you sought God through prayer and his word, and you came to a different conclusion than what I or somebody else did, you're both right. Congratulations. Now, if the opposite happened, if you did it because you can't stand the government and you know too much overreach, which I agree with, that has nothing to do with any of that kind of stuff, but if your reason were not Bible and gospel-centered and sought after the Lord, doesn't matter what the decision was, the process to make the decision is what got us into trouble. And that's where we find ourselves fighting on a regular basis. And it came with all of these things. The reason I mention that is as we move forward, we may be done with the COVID thing. Who knows? But there's always going to be something. My encouragement and challenge for all of us is to stay on mission starts with us going to God's word and to prayer. So as a church, I can just tell you over the last two years without going into all the details, for us to focus on mission meant 
we were going to put a food room together to literally feed thousands of people who are going through very challenging times very early on the pandemic. Our youth ministry exploded. We had more kids come to Christ in that one year than previous years combined. Isn't that amazing? We chose for the sake of the mission that CR would need to remain open for people going through hurts, habits, you know, and hangups in their lives. We went online for a season, but we saw great fruit from that. And it still blows me away that other people in other states, let alone the rest of the world, are hearing the message of Jesus Christ. We housed a tutoring center for kids who needed tutoring to get through this incredibly hard season. We reached out to the hospital workers and the frontline workers that we wanted to support and pray for in the name of Jesus Christ. We did our best to support the students and teachers, paying for books for every child in our entire district, opening doors, even in this room, to have dances for local high schoolers to take place, and we have seen people come to our church and accept Christ after that encounter. That's crazy to me, and it's awesome at the same time. Why? Because we stay focused on the mission. Didn't, I'm not saying we got all the decisions right. I we're going to be arrogant that much and say that, but I'm going to say that has been the heart behind it. So let's go back to the story of Daniel. In verse 17, Daniel went home, told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened? We're gonna die if we can't figure this out. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret. What it's saying there is they went fervently in prayer so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision and Daniel praised the God of heaven. So they were going to God and they were going to, his, to, to, going to God in prayer and his word. But secondly, to help us to stay on mission because all of us get squirreled and get caught up into whatever makes us irritated, upset, or angry that it's so easy to get off of mission that we need wise, godly counsel in our lives to, 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 to knock us off the edge before we jump over. Right? Many of us are like, I'm done. That's when you need some people you know, around us to help us to remain focused on the mission, which is why life groups are so important as part of our church. In fact, the Bible says where many counselors, godly counselors, a man succeeds. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Here's what we know. There were a lot of marriages who really struggled through this season. Because they didn't have the support system outside the marriage. So when tension came into the home and it got heightened through these last couple years, they didn't have others to remind them to stay on mission. Stay on mission. Now, you need to ask yourself, do you have a group of wise counselors around you? Or secondly, are you a wise counselor to somebody else? Let me remind you of last week. What is a wise counselor? This is what you're looking for. You're not looking for someone just to agree with you. Okay, those are called fans. Okay, those are people who are just your biggest fan supporters. You're like, I don't agree. Well, me neither. Well, I agree. Well, me too. And oh, you know, it's just amazing how we find people that just agree with what we say. And we're kind of in this like sound booth where all we're doing is hearing to ourselves agree with the same things, which may be right, but do you have godly counsel? James 3, 17 says, this is what a person looks like. But the wisdom that comes from God is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, 
and good fruit, impartial, that's a big one for us, and sincere. They're on mission, only want God's best for you to bring glory to him and to be able to shine your light through you for a world that absolutely needs us. Do you have those people in your life? Now notice Daniel, he's centered again on God's hope. Verse 20, praise the name of God forever when he received the news of what the dream was and how he's gonna interpret it. For he had all wisdom and power. God controls the course of world events. God removes kings and sets others up as kings. God gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. God is in control of whomever is in control. What a great reminder once again that he was receiving this and he'd be able to praise God. So how do we stay focused on mission? We continue to seek God in word and prayer. Secondly, we seek wise, godly counsel as we're trying to navigate things we've never gone through before. And number three, we seek to bring glory to God in all cases. It's not about us. It's about him if you're a follower of Jesus and you're on mission for him because that's what Jesus did. Colossians 3, 17, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Not primarily first as a representative of a political party first. Not as a U.S. citizen first. Our first priority is part of God's kingdom and we're representing the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now notice what happens. Back to Daniel. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now, I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen, and it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but it's because God wants you to understand what is in your heart. So it's fascinating. He doesn't take any, he's like, God, you're getting the glory for this. I'm gonna get praise, but I'm gonna deflect that back to you over and over and over. I loved the end of the Super Bowl because a guy by the name of Cooper Cup, you know, actually a Spokane product over here in Eastern Washington gave full glory and credit to God. And he does it when he loses as well as when he wins. What a great example. Now, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, he, what he begins to tell him is that there's gonna be four kingdoms after you. And he tells them, and this is actually what t- came to pass, is that there would be the Babylonians, then followed would be the Persians, then the Greeks, and then finally the Romans. The Babylonian Empire, you know, would be about 66 years. The Persian Empire would be 208 years. The Grecian Empire, 185 years. And the Roman Empire stood for more than 500 years. But then Daniel predicts one more kingdom that he wants Nebuchadnezzar to know about. In verse 44, he says, during the reigns of those kinds, of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. What kingdom is he talking about? The same kingdom that Jesus came to 
during the time of Rome that would be a kingdom that would never end, that would last longer and fulfill more the purpose of God. Now notice the response of Nebuchadnezzar. Then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshiped him, and he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. Most important verse is this next one. The king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. By Daniel remaining on mission, Nebuchadnezzar comes to faith on who the real God is, and it changes a nation because he was faithful to stay focused on the mission when the culture around him was changing on a rapid pace. What an opportunity that you and I have as well. So as we close, the second thing we're learning about how to stand up in a bowed down world is to be remain focused on the mission doesn't matter your vocation. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's given you a mission to bring glory to God and help others to do the same. And he gives it to us every day. And when all these things want to kind of squirrel us, we can be centered on God's word and prayer. We need to surround ourselves with wise counsel. And when everything we do, we bring glory to him. So what's your next step? Is there an area or topic where you need to refocus on Christ's mission Above all, have you found yourself squirreled? It's time to get back and focused on him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this day and the opportunity to serve you. I pray, Father, that you would draw us to yourself. And if you're watching online, maybe this is you, that you want to surrender yourself to the one who gave it all, who set up a new kingdom that he invites us into. And Father, if there's somebody in the room or online, I pray that right now we would just say, Lord, I want to be a part of your kingdom. Help me to know what it means to live on mission in this place and in this great country that you have given and blessed me to be a part of. Help me to live for you. And over time, Father, we pray that this nation will become a Christian nation, not by top-down leadership, but because we are living as children focused on you, reaching people for you, discipling people for you, one new person at a time. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.